I almost bounced out after the first vignette. I came so close to it because I was like, it was too real and it hurt too much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyang SAO, welcome to Afternoon of Delight, where Leah, Megan, and Amy, romance novelists, and your K-Romance guides. So grab some deck bokey and listen to your new favorite unease. Hey everyone, it is Leah here, and I am without Megan and Amy, but don't be too sad because I have one of my very favorite special guests who now is a podcast host in their own right. And would you hey. like to introduce yourself again? <laughs> Hi, everyone. My name is Sarah. Uh, I uh, post on Instagram and Twitter as at Cambridge Drama This. And we just, just launched our first episode of Afternoon Asks uh, last week, which I co-host with uh, Grace, who's also another friend of the pod. And I'm so happy to be back for another deep dive. Yeah, so today we are doing strictly a deep dive on a drama, and this is a drama that Amy and Megan haven't watched, and I can't say I judge them, I just feel bad for them, (laughs) because this is an, we're in the non-spoiler section, but as a spoiler, this, I feel like, is an excellent drama. So Sarah and I watched it, we both agreed it was very worthy to be discussed, and we wanted to put it on everyone's radar, because I think it wasn't that it completely flew under the radar, but I don't think it's gotten the love and appreciation that it really deserves. So we are going to take a stab today at making the case for why you should watch Our Blues. So yes. Sarah, can you tell us a little bit about Our Blues? So Our Blues came out in 2022 and um, actually it got a lot of hype before it got launched, right? Because it has an amazing cast, notably for the return of Kim Woo-bin, um, who has you know he was missing from the small screen after quite a long hiatus and he's joined by his in real life girlfriend Shimina as well as Mr Sunshine himself Lee Byung-hyun and also other actors like Han Ji-min who you might know from One Spring Night Hi Jekyll Me and also one of my favorite was well, certainly I think uh, everyone's favorite but definitely mine Omar playing a, a non-Omar role uh Lee Jung-un who was uh, Dong Bet's mum in Camellia as well as plenty of other people's mums and she was also in Strangers from Hell yeah where she's uh, a cannibal <laughs> There, yes. So she's very versatile. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so briefly, because this is an omnibus uh, drama, the synopsis from my drama list, I'm just going to kind of run through briefly. It, it tells the story of many diverse characters that are somehow interconnected in one way or the other. And it's all set on the incredibly beautiful island of Jeju. So we have different characters uh, playing different uh, roles. We've got Lee Dong-suk, played by Lee bong hoon who sells goods from his van um, for a living um and he meets min suna who is played by shimina a girl with a mysterious past who has come to jeju to escape that life we also have kim Bin playing park jung jun a ship captain who falls in love with lee yong played by han jin ming who is a hanyo diver with a bright and bubbly personality um and there are various other other characters as well that we meet uh all along the drama the drama has kind of like it's a different stories and they kind of interweave with each other I think really really well um but we also get a kind of focused part of the drama that's really about their stories yes so okay first question is what got you started on this drama 
and did it meet your expectations? So yeah, um, so did you did you watch it live airing? Did you drop, like watch it when it was dropping there, or did you like shortly after? I think I started it as it was wrapping, so it was live, uh, air, but I think by the time I got to the end, like I wasn't waiting on episodes. Yeah. Yeah, so I think, like I said, it got a real a lot of hype because it was, you know, Kim Woo Bin had been away from the screen for about six years, during which he'd been diagnosed with cancer. He was also joined by by Shimina, who people might know from Hometown Cha 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 and Oh My V Oh My Venus. So actually, I did start it when it was first airing because I thought this is like such an amazing drama. But I think I was actually really in the mood for something like a Hometown Cha Cha Cha. And it's mm-hmm. really clear from episode one, this is not, this is not mm-hmm. hometown cha-cha-cha. So I remember I dropped it thinking, I, I know I've got to be in the right mood for it. So I picked it back up actually earlier this year um, when I was more ready for it. And I thought, um, and I'd heard your episode as well because you sold it to the to the other Ninas. Um, and I remember you saying something about how emotional it was for you and how you cried during it. So I was thinking, right, I'd better, because I, I could, you know, I could really enjoy this drama if I'm in the right place for it. So, um, but it was actually even better than I expected. And if anything, and I totally agree with you, I think this drama doesn't, hadn't got the hype that it really deserves to have because even despite its amazing cast, um it kind of flew under the radar as you said and for me it was much more emotional has much more heart and depth than I expected and the writing is just amazing so as I said you guys did a a podcast which was episode 87 called Safe by the Cell where you try to sell your fellow hosts a k-drama that you just started um and despite seemingly having sold this, because I think when you were talking about it, both Megan and Amy were like, oh, this sounds really interesting. They still haven't come to watch it. So mm-hmm. for them and for others who are hesitating on starting, what message have you got to give them? Look, I think there's things that we gravitate towards just by nature, right? And I don't think that when it comes to, especially my co-host, Megan, um, which is funny because I feel like I align so much on Megan, except when I don't, which is all the time too. <laughs> this is not a drama heavy on external conflict. This is an internal conflict, uh, primarily internal conflict drama. That's not to say there's no, you know, plot conflicts. Of course there are, but this is really about people. And I think that that might give trepidation sometimes to her. I'm a little more surprised at Amy, but then I guess I often shouldn't be because I feel as if, if this, I'm curious if they're going to listen to this and what they're going to think about. They're not (laughs) said This was a story about Kim Ubin living as a boat captain and having kind of a, desperate love for a Nuna Hanyo, like, you know, like diver, I think she would have been like, yes. But the fact that this was a like multi-part, you know, kind of like episodic with all these vignettes, my hunch is that that became more like a little bit more off-putting. Like they're just something that didn't feel as sexy to watch that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you talk about hometown cha-cha-cha, like what's funny to me is that I think it is a good comparison. And I think a lot of people might've gone to our blues thinking, this is going to be like another hometown, hometown cha-cha-cha. It's not. I like it better, but I don't think it's a huge, like I, as I say, I like it better. I also don't feel like it's a great comparison because they're fundamentally different dramas. So if you want a core romance 
of like two characters and their growth and journey with like a supporting cast, that's going to be hometown cha-cha-cha. It is emotional. It does have like, you know, layers to it. But I still feel like it hits a bit of like that fantasy space. Yes, Our absolutely. Yeah. Much more grounded in reality. That's not to say it's like total reality, but like pretty, pretty much reality. Um, and out of the gate, and we're going to talk about that first vignette. I almost bounced out after the first vignette. I came so close to it because I was like, it was too real and it hurt too much. <laughs> yeah. 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 I get, I get where you're coming from. I think so my, quite a few people actually on my Instagram, but we'll, we'll talk about that later. I think. Yeah. So my sales pitch is if you want to feel like this is a drama that by the end, it made me like, sometimes I just have dramas that make me want to be a better human and really reflect on what humanity means as a whole like the warts and all the struggles and just that reminder that everyone's living a battle that we know nothing about. And I feel like yes. that's what our blues was is everyone has these internal struggles that like may not always be apparent. Sometimes they're very apparent. You can look at someone and be like, Ooh, they are going through it. And sometimes you have yeah. no idea that a person who's joking and laughing could have a lot of pain or a lot of, you know, loneliness. And so it just, it, again, watching that made me remember that. And I think, again, like in doing that, I think that inspires me to be a better person because when I see people out and about and I'm being my best self, lately I haven't. Lately, my son's been like, you are a mean driver because I'm driving around like an idiot, like to myself, like in the car. I need to remind myself everyone is, you know, waging a battle we know nothing about. All right. So this is an episodic drama and it has a wide ensemble cast. Whose performances really stood out for you and who surprised you with their roles? So I guess, you know, like I said, the main stars are the ones, you know, people come to see. And um, I was actually initially surprised at how willing, you know, main leads were used to carrying a whole big name drama themselves. You know, so Kimball Bin, all the others, that they were so willing to be in this drama and share the limelight with such a big ensemble cast. And I think it was because of the reputation of the writer. No Hee Kung, and it's directed by Kim Hu Tae, who also helmed one of Leah's favourite dramas, Moon Lovers, Scarlet Heart Rio, which we've done a podcast on already. <laughs> so in an interview, it was a, a really interesting, I found. So No Hee Kung said, I don't remember when exactly, but at some point, writing a story with two lead characters no longer interested me. Mm. We are the heroes of our own story, aren't we? I didn't want to treat some characters as less significant I, I thought that, that was really interesting and then yeah and then she also said on attracting such a big cast she said any writer would want to work with such actors I'm grateful that they all agreed to take part in the project my only concern was to give them the roles they had never played before so that they could show their unseen sides to their viewers and I think she absolutely nailed that I think so many of the actors we're in roles we haven't seen them before, haven't seen in them before. Uh, and that was also one of the surprises to me. Like, it's always really nice when you go to a K-drama and you see some familiar faces, especially those people who play side characters. And then to see them in something really quite different was was really refreshing. Um, so actually for me, all Shimina, for example, is the least sunny, least comedic, most internal role I've seen her in. Um, Hanji Min was completely different from her character in One Spring Night, which is one of my top 10 dramas. Um, but the standout for me was actually Lee Bung Hyun, so Mr. Sunshine. Uh, we will probably discuss his storyline and performance in more detail in the spoiler section, but like just wow. Like I 
I really liked him in Mr. Sunshine, but for me, he's he's overshadowed by the rest of that incredible cast. And I and I really lost my heart to Gudong May in Mr. Sunshine. But like just, oh my God, like in this drama, he is just so good. Like gut gut wrenchingly tear my hair heart out viscerally good <laughs> and his performance for me personally is worth it alone for this drama and he absolutely deserves his Bexton nomination for best actor this year I totally congratulate him for winning that he really deserves it. I'm really really glad that they recognized his performance specifically um because he really nailed it and he just left like nothing else right he just put everything on the table in that role by the end of that drama yeah, I mean, truly, I just want to say yes. And in Mr. Sunshine, I think he did a great job. I mean, he was carrying like a lead role, but it's a more reserved button down character. He yeah. is great, but I do think that that cast had a lot more. Yeah, I mean, like, like yeah, Gudame, your eye is going to be drawn to other parts of that drama. Um, but in this, he snuck up on me. Like when we start this drama, yeah. we see him at the beginning, you're like, okay. Like, I mean, he's doing fine, but like, you know, whatever. Like, he's not a like, he's not horribly unlikable. He's kind of just there and not very likable. But by the time the drama finishes, I mean, I would give him a kidney. (laughs) (laughs) I'd be like, do you have an organ failing? Because I got you. (laughs) I, I, loved his performance and you have a question that you want to ask me and I feel like I need to unpack my love in answering that question so why don't we go okay. there okay cool. which question is that? <laughs> <laughs> the next one about crying oh, okay right. so um so not gonna lie right this drama made me sob really badly all the way through I was a total puddle at the end um, and this makes the drama sound like a super sad drama, but it isn't. So I know you cried, but how was your crying scale? One to 10. My crying scale was a 25. <laughs> <laughs> so I just finished Alchemy of Souls, which made a lot of people cry. I really liked Alchemy of Souls. I did not have a single tear leak down my cheek watching Alchemy of Souls. And there's emotional parts to it. I cried myself into a dehydrated raisin for like 50% of this drama. I just would have tears just leaking down my face. Is it sad? No. And yes. <laughs> so this isn't like a drama that you're going to leak. This isn't a drama where it's just kind of like pondering the miseries of life and you leave just being like FML. Like I said, you leave very much like I think with a renewed curiosity and love for like humans, at least I did, but it was in doing that because as you go into everyone's internal stories, there's just a lot there. And I felt like a lot of it felt authentic. And even Mm. if I didn't have these characters stories, I certainly have been like touched or affected by elements that come up for different characters. And so I think it hit me in like the empathy feels. And then also just- I love that this, uh, the writer really was like, I am going to invest because sometimes it's like a really good story is great plot, great characters, but sometimes we'll be like, okay, we're going to really focus on the plot or we're really going to focus on the characters. And here, I think she really made a choice to focus on the characters 
But since we have so many vignettes, each story doesn't really get stale. And so you just feel like you go on this like deep dive of the soul with each of the character vignettes. And they all affected me. Each story affected me greatly. Yes. I thought she did a really great job of kind of just putting in like little clues here and there. So you, as much as it's episodic, you still get the other characters from the other stories make an appearance throughout the drama and you kind of pick up hints and things about their past or things that make you question like why why are they behaving like that which the writer then picks up later in their story and develops and so you're already quite invested by the time you come to their uh to their story um so was there one that really like did they did they all just rip your heart to pieces or was there one that was like much worse I mean, they all did to different degrees, but Lee Byung-hun and his mom ruined me. Yeah. And I don't want to talk about it more until we get to this point. Yeah, yeah, I know. I I would would just... Yeah, I I hard agree. I I don't do this very often with dramas, but for this that section, there was one section. I think you probably know which one it is. I had to stop, and like go get more tissue calm myself down because <laughs> I was like I'm not in uh like I can't carry this on until I kind of just get over like how much I am crying right yes. now and then like I watch in bed similar to you so I was also having to like keep it in a bit because like I had a sleeping person next to me um and uh yeah and I just remember thinking like I, I kind of need to go to another room just to kind of <laughs> just calm down a little bit before I press play and carry on because it was just like oh so much and then Another relationship that didn't make me sob quite as like painfully, but like I would just leak tears throughout it was the dynamic between um, Lee Young-uk, who is played by Han Ji-min, and Mm. she has a sister who has Down syndrome. Yeah. And their relationship felt really special and it felt like a sister relationship and I have sisters and Mm. there were times where it just hit me and like my sisterly feels like the two of them and like how they um you know kind of are in each other's spaces and yeah interacted with each other and I felt like yeah I don't want to give too much away in the non-spoiler section but I felt like there were certain things like I don't know if like the there were times where like maybe some parts of the characterization landed a little bit different. Like I didn't love every way it landed, I guess. Mm. But I would say for the most part, I did. I thought it was a really um, sensitive and nuanced uh, depiction of someone who has a lot of dignity and a lot of pride and a lot of worth as a person trying to have the world see them as such. And that just was getting me a lot throughout the drama. Yeah. I think for me it had echoes of it it's okay to not be okay because I thought that was another drama that did really well depicting the kind of you've got two siblings one who has effectively a disability and one who doesn't and the the one who doesn't carries a lot of responsibility that they didn't ask for right they didn't actually sign up for um but at the same time they feel a lot of guilt at feeling that responsibility and wanting to escape that responsibility and I think um this drama did a really good job of fleshing that out in a way that didn't make you feel like that person was a bad person for just wanting to just be free of that for for a while um 
yeah so I think for me the storyline that that really ripped me despite you know all the big stars and their storylines actually was the story of the two dads um so again I don't want to spoil the storyline because I think it's important to enjoy it cold so to speak but I just cried at so many points in the story um there are basically two single dads one with a daughter one with a son and the relationships between them are all just k-drama gold just so real to life um all the history we carry in our relationships with people we have known all our lives mm-hmm. um and then also the for both of them there are single parents and then for the children they're the only child of that single parent and then that duty and that burden which um, and by which i mean like an asian confucian concept which mm. um actually something me and grace are going to talk about and do a podcast on um but all of that they carry with them uh and especially when you see your parents live a life to give a hard life to give you a life that they couldn't dream of having themselves they're doing it for you and you alone and once they provided for you there's some element of freedom for them on the horizon i mean i'm going to stop there but everything yeah. about this storyline gutted me and i was in pieces just throughout uh and i actually thought it was so great that we got some some screen time such solid screen time from actors that generally pay side characters and don't normally get such big chunky meaty roles and so just shout out to the actors who played the dads uh who's uh Choi Jung Choi Yun Jun who we know from Hospital Playlist and many many other dramas who played Hu Shik and Park Ji Hwan who played In Kwang they were just amazing absolutely <laughs> So the other thing that I really loved was the uh, the OST. Like, this is such a good soundtrack. Uh, I, I immediately played it over and over. But there is a lead song with you performed by a certain um, person from BTS, Jimin, and his buddy, Harson Wan. So, um, Leah, did you know that he, he did this before you came into the drama? I did. <laughs> um, of course you and, did. <laughs> well, because we didn't, I this was one of his, this was his um, so I'm ARMY, uh, you know, part of the BTS fandom. You shock us all. You shock us. You know, some people might just be listening for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> and Liz ARMY, everyone. Liz ARMY. So, okay. So Jimin is one of my precious babies. Like, I love, I love Puck Jimin. And this was not only his first ever original soundtrack or OST, this was also his first ever official project outside of the group BTS. So at the time he came forward to do this, all the other BTS members had released individual work. And so um, this was like his first time. And he did a collab with uh, his uh, good friend who was in uh, a now disbanded group called uh, 101. And so that's Ha Sung Woon. And I love it. It's really, Jimin has a very soft kind of like ethereal voice and the little hook, you know, so when you watch drama and it has a good OST, like they, they roll out that OST like over and over and over. And sometimes I honestly will just play that song just to kind of like have like some of the feels that I had watching the drama. And I like that. And so his voice is just very soft, kind of almost like feather light. And I like it because it never like takes over the scenes, but it's kind of just like this little, like, it's pretty emotional. And then when mm. you hear it, it just kind of like heightens. So I just wanted to throw a little nod out because I really love that song. 
it's a great song. I think it matched well with the with the drama, definitely. He had that, like you said, this kind of ethereal quality that I always think. Um, and there was elements of that kind of feel in the drama being set to do and all that sunshine and the, the blue sky and the great on the clouds. Mm. All right. So Sarah, was this your first Kimu Bin? Yes. And Amy, if you're listening, I get it. I now get it. Like the, <laughs> this man is like a god. He's actually almost too good looking, I thought, in a way, to be convincing slicing mackerel in a market because like people who are as godlike as him just don't don't work in a random fish market slicing mackerel. But I I did really love him in this role on his bus, writing existential questions to himself on the windows, and just yes, he's just strolling around, being like just looking amazing. But Leah, this is your second Kimbu bin, right? You've seen them in airs before. Um, yeah. How was this role compared to what he, how he played in airs, which I've not seen? So for me, he was the most interesting part of airs, which is a, a Kimun Suk drama about kind of like poor little rich kids. And he was, he plays, uh, is like part of a love triangle that also it like puts him up against his former bestie who is Eamon Ho. But his character of Yongdo in Airs is just pure damage, has so many emotional boo-boos and is just like a very problematic character who is also just kind of like a living nerve. Like it doesn't take much to just touch and that pain is like radiating out. So look, I knew that was a role. <laughs> I knew that he was a good actor. I mean, he acted his butt off in what I thought was kind of an average drama, but he is stellar. But in this drama, he's very emotionally healthy. He's very grounded. He's very loving. And it was just kind of a nice thing to see him be because like the last time I'd seen him, he was just a freaking hot mess. <laughs> And I had some people say like, oh, I wish there was more of him. I wish there was more of his story. I honestly felt okay. I felt like the, the storyline he's a part of is an important story. I mean, they're all important storylines. Um, but I thought I had enough of him and his character. Like it's maybe mm-hmm. not like the most faceted character of all of them. I mean, he's got stuff to work with, but he's also just very good looking and very good. Yes. <laughs> Yes, he's a very good person. And yeah, so really solid. Um, yeah. And sometimes that just took I didn't want to be in emotional pain every single moment of every single episode. And there were times where he is in in scenes that are heavy and that did make me feel certain ways. But there's times where he's just a hot dude driving his boat. Or there's times <laughs> where he's just like living in his bus writing you know questions about the universe and his like relationship (laughs) with a a marker on a window so I just appreciated when he came around because it was just a time to have like just a little bit of visual eye candy and like a little (laughs) bit of just kind of like what you would expect in like more of like I'm not trying to dog hometown cha-cha-cha but like you know like he was part of like what was like a very just like romantic arc Yes. And so like, sometimes you just want to move to the story that has like, just like the drive through romance that you can invest in because like dealing with filial piety and children, you know, disobeying your expectations or, you know, humongous depression, (laughs) like 
you know, like sometimes I just want to be like, you're hot. And like, I hope you find out. I know. I did find it really interesting that this, in a way, this was his comeback drama, right? That he chose this drama. I mean, I'm sure he got offered like other dramas, but mm. that he chose specifically this drama. I find that quite fascinating, actually, um, because like I said, he, he's you know, he's not the main star in it. He doesn't even have like the biggest role of a set of roles in no. terms of an emotional arc or a character journey, etc. So, But his, um, uh, his fiance does. And I love that, too. I love that they get yeah. the drama together. And she's not one of the main main leads either. No, no. He no, has no. a lot more to do, though. Emotionally. Yeah, she does. yeah. yeah. And she's playing so against type. So it's, uh, yeah, it's really interesting. All right. Well, you know what? We normally don't do a K-pop wreck of the week, you and I, but this time I'm just going to say the K-pop wreck of the week is going to be with you. Let's throw that in as our K-pop yeah. wreck of the week. So I'll throw that in the show notes so folks can listen to it. And then, all right, let's pivot. I think we've made, I, I'm hoping we've made a case. Oh, actually, no, we haven't. Because what I really wanted to do was ensure that we defined what slice of life or quiet dramas are because we've talked about this on the pod before, but you know, not everyone listens to every single thing and it's always good to have a reminder. And so I think, again, if you're on the fence and you're trying to decide, is this for you or not? Look, give it a shot, honestly, just stop being a judgy a-hole and like (laughs) make the effort. But like, let's talk about slice of life or quiet dramas and why they can be, you know, really wonderful. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, like a slice of life drama is something that brings almost the mundane and everyday life day, every day to life in a realistic way. So other genres, everything's a little bit hyper realistic, like say a a rom-com office romance. No one really works in a place like that. Like, you know, they often don't seem to do any thinking work at all. Um, But in a slice of life one, there is a sense of drudgery, the day to day, the daily trudge through your commute the monotony but emotionally there's a lot going on and I think you already touched on this but like I always love the quote by Henry David Thoreau the mass of men live lives of quiet desperation and I think a great slice of life drama pulls back the curtain to the lives of normal members of society to reveal their lives of quiet desperation and and what they're going through underneath and I think that if that is something that appeals to you that our blues just absolutely nails it. Mm. So there's, have you ever watched uh, the movie Shadowlands about C.S. Lewis? Yes, I have. And Deborah, is it Deborah Wing? I think, yeah. I I feel like I need, I feel like we need (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) the reason I'm bringing it up is there is a quote in that, um, that has always sat with me ever since I was like, I might've been like in high school when I first saw it, but it is, we read to know we're not alone. And that's what the C.S. Lewis, you know, from Narnia, like he's the main character. He says that at one point and it's always stayed with me. And I feel like that's what watching slice life dramas are to me too, is like, I watch to know I'm not alone. And so I think, again, that's where I just invite folks to be curious, settle in. This is not like crawling at a snail's pace either. Like, I don't feel like this is just like the slowest plots in the world. No, absolutely not. No. Yeah. I, I have a love for slow, slow dramas. Um, I was trying to get you to watch The Interest of Love, which is maybe the slowest drama I've ever watched. And I know that other people, especially on the Patreon, were watching it and finding it frustrating. Um, but this is not that. It actually moves on at quite a pace. They've got a lot of characters to, to cover, a lot mm-hmm. of stories uh, and a lot of vignettes. Yeah. So, um, Leah, I also wanted to just uh, double check uh, with you, like what trigger warnings would you give uh, listeners that they should be aware of before starting this drama? 
Yeah. So I think that is good because there are, this is, this drama deals with a lot of heavy things. And this also means that if you brush up against a trigger that you would tend to not want to engage with, you also could flip to another story because, you know, not every story, these are not coming up in every story, but I do want to say that there should be um, trigger warnings for um, suicidal ideation. I think first and foremost, like that definitely um, comes up. I would say that there is a lot of like, like that's my biggest thing is suicidal ideation and then kind of like that heavy depression and like depression that's not romanticized. Like what, and I'm not, I'm not depressive. I don't have depression and I've never suffered from depression, but I have known, um, very close loved ones who've been very affected by by depression. And I feel like this was a very accurate description of like depiction of what depression could look like and how it can like touch on suicidal ideation. So I guess I really just wanted to like put that out there that like there is one plot that does um, touch on that. Is there anything else that you can think of that you would say? Not for trigger warnings. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, well, let's move over to the spoiler section. So, okay. This drama is rife with social grapplings. And I thought we could talk about, you know, three, not in a huge amount of depth, but I do think that they were interesting because, um, you know, we're, we're both approaching this with more of a Western lens. And I kind of wanted to just discuss like how we thought these plot points were integrated into the overall story. Um, yeah, so this is such an interesting question, Leah. I'm so glad you asked it because <laughs> actually I'm going to contradict you slightly because I actually watched well, I this, this a lot good. with, yeah, I watched it a lot with my Asian lens. So I'm, I'm British Chinese for those of you who don't know. And, and I actually really want to compare how I felt with how you felt um, and see how we came to it. Because for, for me, for example, teen pregnancy in Asia is a huge no no right just just huge like it's so many things it's the disappointment that you've interrupted that ideal path of top student as snu it's a big job having a child outside of marriage it's a huge shame on your family it's a huge shame on your parents for failing to raise you properly as well as uh you know the weight of patriarchy which for us is expressed through confucianism and and um uh, you know, a girl being a, a, a slut and um, with sleeping with 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 men at an early age, and all of that shaming. Um, so it's just there's there's a lot, and for me that added a lot of the pathos to this storyline. And I talked about how it really made me cry, and a huge part of that was that it was just like the the shame the parents felt, the shame the children felt, and just how they all failed each other felt like they failed each other so like did you feel that yourself as a of the weight of that as a western viewer you know what's interesting is yes and no but I think being a western like white viewer living in America and we talked about this a little before like we started with the pod yes but let let me like thread some needles and then like come back to answering your question (laughs) and so I felt like this really there the pregnancy was like part of the core story, but there was also um, the ability to reproductive freedom and deciding whether or not to access an abortion. So we have two characters, 
teen kind of like Romeo and Juliet lovers. You know, their parents yeah. were good friends who become arch enemies and have like all their hopes in these two very high achieving children who have fallen in love. And, you know, the guy, just like a typical dude must've found a crusty, dusty condom. And like, obviously it didn't work. I love what she was like, where did you get it? You know, this has been in your pocket like a thousand years. Like, why is this happening? But, um, but you know, then they have to explore like, cause the first impotent, like the first thing is like, maybe don't keep the baby, like have an abortion. And, um, and so first I just wanted to say that, you know, this drama coming out in 2022 does base itself in the reality that in 2019, um, South Korean courts did, um, decriminalize abortion care. And so, um, yeah, the removal of abortion care has been like taken off of the, um, South Korea criminal code. And so this drama is kind of coming into that reality of like, you know, there is access to abortion, but um, just because there was decriminalization doesn't mean that there was easy access. And so we see a pretty real depiction. And so for me, you know, I'm not Asian and I didn't grow up in an Asian family, but I grew up in a very pro-life Catholic family. Mm. And I grew up with friends who did get pregnant as teenagers, like in high school unintentionally and what that looked like to try to make those choices at a really young age and being a young person myself who was like, parents didn't know. So we're trying to grapple and figure this out ourselves when we're like 16, 17, you know? And so I think that's where I was hitting it was like remembering what it was like to be trying to be forced with, you know, being a supportive friend to people going through things like this at a time. And then also, I think what layered onto it to me was the fact that the drama even went here with the idea that she, she ended up not ending the pregnancy at an early stage. It ended up being ended or it didn't end up being ended, but she was considering ending it much later in the term. Yeah. Being in the U S right now where we are just throwing up roadblock after roadblock to reproductive freedom. The fact that they were going to try to make a sympathetic case to somebody being pregnant and seeking an abortion, seeking what would ultimately in this country be framed as a late term abortion. Yeah. I think that's where I was just like finding it interesting to see, like they were presenting that as a no judgment Mm. decision in a way that felt authentic and not, um, like prostitute. I, I was just like, I, I was like, I can't even imagine a show being on like network television in the U S where there's a teenager who gets pregnant, originally wants to end it. There's a couple like, you know, fear and all sorts of uncertainty and just kind of like, not, you know, whatever delays it. So you kind of go into like deep denial. <laughs> yeah. And then all of a sudden you're like, you know, 20 some weeks pregnant and you're like, I can't do this. I shouldn't do this. And they literally get up to the line of like looking to end their pregnancy. I think people would lose their fucking minds, wow. lose their minds. I don't See, even I think it would be yeah. talked about anymore. All it would be talked about is like the late term abortion drama. I feel like it would overshadow the rest of the entire, the day. whole thing. Yeah. That's, I mean, for me, like as a Brit, that's just so fascinating because for us, like abortion is just not, a, it's just not a big deal. It isn't divisive. It isn't, it isn't questioned. I mean, that, that obviously there'll be pockets of people who, who maybe protest outside the odd abortion clinic, but generally speaking, it is nowhere near 
the divisive issue it is for you guys in the state. So I like we wouldn't have that in a drama either, but we wouldn't have it because it wouldn't even be like that big a deal anymore. Like that might have been a drama storyline like back in the 80s or something, but like certainly not now. Mm. Um, so, but yeah, yeah, I think I had it with that. And then to bring it back, when the decision is ultimately made, I'm going to keep the baby, kind of like the Papa don't preach. Basically, <laughs> like I got to go back to my dad and be like, I'm in trouble deep, but I'm keeping my baby. <laughs> basically, that's where we go. I had mixed feelings, honestly, because mm-hmm. like I understood how the young couple arrived at the decision. I also felt like it was very idealized, like what the very, be. Like, very, yeah. Like she's gonna study while she has a baby, and I'm yeah, like, he's yeah, gonna, like okay. he's gonna do the SNU path or whatever, have the baby. Yeah. He's gonna give up his career path, and then once the baby's like four or whatever, like she'll be done with school, and then they'll pivot to hit him being his turn. And he was like, "Yes, we can do this." And I was like, "This is really sweet." <laughs> And this is the least realistic part of the entire. <laughs> it's so true. I did think that too. Yeah. So, I mean, that's where I, as a Western viewer, for me, that's where I, like, I started to just get into like that. But yeah, I mean, beyond that though, I think I didn't have like the Asian lens of like the weight of my family. I had the, if I had gotten pregnant, in high school and gone to my parents, I would have been like, you know, you are keep like, I grew up in a house that has like, you know, my parents have shifted their politics over time. But at that time, it would have mm. been like, you are having this baby. Yeah. Situation. And so that's a very different lens too, because there wouldn't have been this, like their parents were like, do not have this baby. <laughs> like this yeah, yeah, yeah. is not the decision we want you to have. Um, yeah. yeah. I would have been in a very different position. Yeah. Yeah. No, it brought it up for me as well. Like imagine telling my mom that I was pregnant at like that age. Oh God. Like I just, yeah, it was all just a bit too, like (laughs) too real of just how bad it would have been. And Um, also I think just how innocently dumb they were in getting pregnant. Like you said, like the crusty old condo, you know, like, (laughs) so I don't know. I did. I, I loved them though. I thought they did. They portrayed everything so well. And there was part of me that was like, you know what? I'm just going to put my drama brain on and they are going to work this all out. They are going to yeah, be yeah. that success story. And she is like, you know, they're going to do it because I don't know what else to say here. I mean, the thing is for me, like the niggle that I had with that storyline was that, hey, yeah, it was a bit idealized. But also, like, I felt like the whole drama was talking about the strength of community. Right. Mm-hmm. And actually just saying that it takes more than, you know, because of anything. And this is a journey that I'm going through with my own family and my own family and my own family within the community that we're living in, which is a very western community but like we've just become so divorced from community like this whole mm-hmm. like you know it takes a village to raise a child type of of a thing it's just not a it's just not not kind of a reality that most western societies uh have anymore um but that this drama kind of really said actually do you know what like I think we've lost something here because here is a community that all grew up together and are all supporting together and so if the drama had said right we're going to give up our, you know, dream of SNU because we're a little bit too far and we actually need this community to help us raise our child together. I think that would have been a bit more realistic and a bit more fitting with, you know, the the, the story that the drama was trying to tell us about the strength of community and how we need community to raise families. Um, so, yeah, I, that was just well, my I think that is a great take and I think that would have been a better than like that like go at it alone we're gonna like go to the city I mean like the dads eventually became like you know you knew they'd be like involved but I think the way you just sold it that 
that would have been the better choice. Well, we should send a memo, be like, do an agenda <laughs> for the drama. That would have, by, that the way, by the way, <laughs> made a lot more sense to thematically rather than like the go edit alone mentality. Yeah. Right. Um, so similarly for depression, like, um, like I think firstly for me for me, I think that you probably live in a in a, a society that I consider, even for Western standards, to be the most aware and accepting of mental health, like in America. Like um to me, it feels like having a therapist is, as I understand, quite a normal thing. Like for me as a Brit, it's not yet a very normal thing, but in Asia it's definitely less norm normal. So I can only really speak to like my own family, but like in my parents' generation, there is an awareness of mental health and of depression. But no, but it's really like at the fringes, no real deep understanding of it. And I would probably being a little bit generalization and and being a bit judgmental. There's probably still a lot of like, just pull your socks up and get over it type of feeling with depression. Um, so for me, what I really loved about this drama and its portrayal, I mean, there's lots of things which I think you're going to talk about, but um, I really loved that uh he really tried he wasn't judgmental he really tried to understand he acknowledged his ignorance and he wanted to understand her better what did you think yeah so i will first accept what you were saying but i will also say that you know america is i mean we're almost at 500 million people now right like this is a big ass country um so there's pockets that are going to be very accepting and pockets that are not and i am in a pocket which is coastal california we're like, I mean, if my, if I told people my dog had a therapist, I don't think I would get like that funny. If I was like, does your dog have a therapist? My, my dog needs a therapist. <laughs> but I, I mean, I have had conversations just to like give you where, you know, I've had people tell me that they could recommend someone who could do remote pet Reiki on my dog. Oh God, I remember you talking about this. It sounds like seriously the best job ever, which is what I want to be doing is watching dramas hashtag <laughs> but um yeah and so I mean yes therapy for me is very very normalized I also work in student affairs at a university on the coast in California in probably one of the most progressive towns in the one of the most progressive um states in our country so with that as a context yeah I have like I I forget truly forget that therapy is not as normalized and that mental health isn't as normalized until I go back to my hometown sometimes and I'm like oh and so I'd say it's it's better but I would say that um you know growing up I had a lot I have I come from a very big family like a very big extended family and so things like aunts who experienced postpartum depression, which I now can name and understand being postpartum depression. Yeah. Was seen as like, you know, have you gotten a load of so-and-so acting, da, 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 you know what I mean? Like very much <laughs> like that. And I grew up um, with undiagnosed ADHD and obsessive compulsive disorder that was very much like, just stop doing your stuff. Like, just yeah. don't be like that. Concentrate, <laughs> focus concentrate, focus, don't have rituals, don't do your like, whatever, you know what I mean? And so I took that shit underground. And, um, and that's not to be like a knock on my, you know, this isn't like me coming to like knock on like my family and their reactions to things. And, but it's also just like, I try to normalize that. I remember when I wrote my first book, I put a character in it who has OCD and I, 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 it's a light touch to the book, but I mm. put in the notes 
that part of the reason that it inspired me to write the book was because I had lived experience. And that felt at that point, which was like 2014, like a big thing for me to put out there. Like I had never really openly talked about it with friends and family. I hadn't really like come out, I guess, as like, you know, somebody living with any type of mental illness. And so, and even still, sometimes what's so funny is I'll be accepting of so many other people. And then for me, I'll like try to like minimize it all the time. And so, yes, I guess seeing this and seeing this person go through that again, I haven't gone through postpartum depression Um, but I felt like, you know, some of her stuff was rooted in that, but it was much deeper than that. Like she had like clinical, like massive depression. And I do, I think that this was a good non-judgmental way that the, the show took like her husband, not fully understanding kind of being like, just get it fucking together. We also, I also thought they made a good choice that she was like affluent that she had a beautiful son, that she herself was beautiful, that she had a hot zaddy husband, like everything was good for her. Yeah. And yet she had horrible depression. And I thought that was a really good choice because that is real. It's not like, I mean, like if they had made her like struggling to like live on a bootstrap, (laughs) you know, I think would have been like, okay, we can dismiss this a little more easily, or I can like distance myself from that experience, but given she seemingly had it all. And we see this even now when we see, you know, celebrities who end their own lives or, Mm. you know, people who seem to have it all quote unquote and are struggling with this. And so I think that kind of normalized to me the fact that like, you know, this, this is a disease and Mm you don't necessarily have control if it's going to come for you or not. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I agree with all of that. I thought they did. um, Similarly, I think they did a great job of showing like it was very clear how much she loved her son. Mm-hmm. But the, despite that, it wasn't like there's always the feeling of like, well, if this is important enough for you, you would just get over it. Right. You would just get over it. Like you could just like I said, pull your socks up and and, yeah. and, and, and woman up or man up. Um. And I think they did a really good job of showing that you can feel a great love for the people in your life, but just still, it's not, it's not enough. It's not like you, like, I think her husband at some point says like, what basically, like, what, what more do you need to motivate yourself to get your shit together? You know? Um, And I think they showed a really good, good, they really did a good depiction of why it isn't about the motivation to get up and get your shit together. Like that is not, actually how it works but I also felt like even that was relatable to me because he's not a villain like he may not always be the most sympathetic but I feel like this is a man at his wit's end who's like you know he's doing what he sees as the good like he is working a big job he's providing he is a loving dad um you know it seems like he did love his wife or he loved his wife in a non-depressive state and seeing those times of frustration of just like what more you know what I mean and she doesn't have an answer and he being frustrated just again it felt very real and sometimes with slice of life what I like is that we're not being told how we should feel or how we should be judging we're kind of invited to be like look at this dynamic and like what would you do or you know what do you think about this like the drama is not telling us like this or that it's just like here's the situation like you can describe like how you are going to like relate to it yeah 
and actually even their relationship was not like it was true slice of life right but it wasn't like here's your white knight on a horse charging in to save you and mm. stop you from being depressed right no, it's, it just not. wasn't that was not the thread of their romance at all and and I really it's loved it for that mind. too yeah. yeah yeah no not at all I mean he was a mess yeah <laughs> <laughs> a total mess but okay was. Before we pivot to that, I do think that like one thing that really um, struck me about this drama, and you did like a little bit of a deep dive in it, so I would like to like give you the floor to talk about it a bit, is that it talked about Hanyo's, like the, um, and that part of Jeju society, and I found this to be a really lovely part of the drama, and so do you just want to talk a little bit about like these remarkable women and their culture? Yeah, I mean, I found this really fascinating. I mean, actually, uh, Grace and I have talked about wanting to do a, a deeper dive podcast on this. Um, but basically, I'm, I've taken this from from the New Yorker, which is what I was like looking at some research. But uh, effectively, for, for hundreds of years, uh, women in the South Korean island of Jeju have made their living harvesting seafood by hand from the ocean floor. And they don't use any breathing equipment. So their typical dive might last around two minutes and take them as deep as 10 meters underwater. So they wear like uh, old fashioned headlight shaped scuba masks and they dive with lead weights strapped around their waist to help them sink faster. Um, and they have a round flotation device around about the size of a basketball and it sits at the surface of the water with a net hanging beneath it to collect a harvest and then they use a sharp tool to dig out either conch or abalone or, or other creatures from the crevices on the sea floor. And um, they had an exhibition actually in America recently where there was a photographer who took photos of of of, of the of the Hanyu and you you can kind of look this up because the photos are, are really amazing um and he the photographer himself who's, who's Korean said they embody incredible mental and physical stamina as the work itself is so dangerous every day they cross the fine line between life and death I wanted to capture this extreme duality of the women their utmost strength combined with human fragility um, and I thought it was just really beautifully phrased, which is why I quoted it. And I and I think the drama did such an amazing job of showing that that they're in in some ways this was their everyday life, but within their everyday life they were, as he says, on that fine line between life and death all the time. Uh, and there was just so much strength in these. I mean, these women. I think he said some of the, like the oldest one was eighty something. Uh, and it is seen as a dying, a dying profession. I think the, the youngest, it, it was 38 at the time when they did just the photos. Um, and this is kind of seen as like the last generation of, of these hangers. So, um, yeah, really incredible. Um, and there's also, I just wanted to flag, there is a, a, a very well-regarded novel um, called The Island of Sea Women by Lisa C, which I've not personally read. Have you read it? I don't, but I have it on my Kindle. So uh, it is on yeah. my queue, but you know, it's been there for almost a year. So I do have a lot of books that I'm looking to get to, but that is definitely one. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. So, okay. In the interest of time, I don't think we can go through every single vignette and talk about it, <laughs> but I do think that, you know, when we drop this episode, um, you know, we could probably do a little bit on social media, talking about some of the relationships and asking people to weigh in on their favorites too. But why don't we each take like one vignette of characters and talk about why they're special to us? Yeah. So, um, so sorry. I'm assuming you're going to take Dung Suk and his mom. Yeah. You know what? You can, 
I because I have not written about because you you freestyle and talk about them because I'm talking about Yuni and okay. her her best friend. So that's not going to go for. Her. So so overall, I really liked Yuni's character the most. Uh, I liked especially that she was played by Lee Jung Un, who's very often playing a mother character. So she was like, for example, the cameo of uh, in Hometown Cha Cha Cha. She's Shimina's mum, but here she's in jeans, looking way younger than her usual character, and she's just living her and loving her single life um and i think it was uh, a point made to me recently i had a, a patron meet in in washington dc um and we were chatting and uh, one of my dinner companions said that she really identified with uni as someone who herself she's like unmarried childless uh, and she really enjoyed seeing her living her best life, sitting in comfy clothes, drinking beer, watching K-dramas. Uh, and I, I, I really like that, too, because actually it's not a character we actually see, like somebody, you know, who's in middle age and, and kind of doing that. But I actually really specifically loved her storyline with her childhood best friend, Miran, um, who's played by Um Jung Hwa, who I've not seen before, but is currently starring in a in a new airing drama on Netflix which is Dr Cha um, but I realised in watching this drama how few dramas I've seen really deal with the complexities of female friendships and I think female friendships are are difficult and different from male friendships um, and I think like for example we get a lot of K-drama besties right they're really great um, friends and like there are some notable exceptions to this but generally we don't usually see the underlying difficulties in their relationship we don't see often long-held grievances come to fore and explode and I I just really loved seeing the guilt that Uni felt at feeling um this way like this feeling jealous feeling like aggrieved um towards Miran and how jealous she was of the attention she got um and I just really loved how this storyline really played out um because it really kind of shook who she was to her core um but then at the end like towards the end we we see Inguan tell her like in his usual offhand way that Miran is like a butterfly and she's fluttering around and but she'll go again but Uni is is the pillar of her community and they all need her and without her they'd all collapse and she was kind of really poleaxed by that because she, I didn't think she had realized it um and I just I really loved that scene and I just really loved how fresh that storyline was What about, okay, what about so, you? So the relationship I want to talk about is with Miss um, Kong and her son, Dong Suk. And this, this relationship is kind of hinted, like, you know, explored throughout the drama, but we really kind of like get it fleshed out in 1819. And really, I think it's about, you know, forgiveness. And how it's the hardest to give to someone who's hurt you a lot. And so I think I want to talk about this first and just like, you know, I don't want to like, and this is what I'm saying, like, this is why these dramas like get me is because they feel very relatable. And so I'm not going to get into like my external family's like dramas and ins and outs, but I do want to touch on something that happened recently where yeah. um, I had a relative who passed away and their relationship with their children was very difficult. And there was a lot of judgment against the children because they had very complicated feelings for their father. Mm. And I had a lot of sympathy with 
both sides, but really with the children, because children were children. <laughs> and, you know, I'd like to think adults are adults, even though people come with their own pain and baggage. But it was the idea of people being like, you should do X, Y, and Z because your parent is dying. Like you yes. should be doing this. You should be doing that. How can they not be doing that? I don't understand how this can be happening. And I feel like that's kind of what the nets and bolts of this was. And what we see yes. is Miss Kong in the story. She like works at the fish market and she is adorable, right? Like this is a lovely, sweet lady that we just see being lovely and sweet. So we're like, how mm. is the son such a fucking toad to her? Like, this is a good woman. Yeah. And he's like a bratty little whatever however there's a lot like he feels like no one has really ever understood his side of the story and he is very frustrated and he has a lot of pain about what happened to him in like his childhood and his life where you know his mom basically you know now she's old and this happens to me too sometimes when I see like I'm really taking this a little too far, but you know, when you see people who are being charged for war crimes and they're very old yes. and like the thing I see is somebody who's very old looking very yes. sick. You don't yes. see the person at the time who was making bad choices. Not to say Miss Kong was like a Nazi, <laughs> but you know, she now looks so old and frail. She's coughing up blood on the regular. You're just like, you know, whatever. So it's very easy to be like, she's the sad woman who wants closure with her son. Yes. And son just needs to fucking get over it and like make up with his mom. Yeah. What the problem is, is that at one point his mom made a decision to basically not treat him like a mom. Yes. And the damage that that caused him, I think, really justifies where he's showing up. And so yeah. by the t- that, and that's what got me with his character is when he's finally like, no one is understanding me. And he has this moment where like her dying wish is to like go, you know, to the top of this mountain and, you know, have this moment and everyone has opinions on how he should be with his mom. And in his romantic relationship with Shim and Oz character, she basically gives him permission. Like you can choose your relationship. I'm not going to judge you. Like whatever mm-hmm. it's going to feel like is going to give you closure is going to be like what I support you to do. And she's the one, she's the only one really who like yeah, yeah. permission which felt really healing and which felt really powerful to do because old wounds really hurt a lot. And she, when she, basically his mom, like the TLDR, cause I haven't really gotten into like what his buried pain is, is the TLDR is that when his mom remarried, she didn't protect him. Um, so in a family that bullied on him, she distanced himself for a host of self-protecting reasons and left him very vulnerable. Yeah. Um, and I know that the storyline means a lot to you too. So do you have anything that you want to add into this? Because, you know, I feel like this was just like the story that closed everything out and got us all. So I just want you to be able to feel like you can talk about it. Too. Yeah. I, I think it was, I think it was a really good, it was interwoven through the drama so well. We had so many scenes in the drama where you felt like she was trying to reach out to him and kind of build a little bit of a relationship. And he was often just kind of like snarling back at her and going like, what now you care? Like now you can pretend that you care. And you, yeah, like you said at the beginning, you're just like, why is he being so 
awful to this really lovely fluffy old woman and then I remember when you get to that backstory bit where they actually show her completely properly walloping him as a as a young boy right and I just remember the shock that that came and she not just walloped him once like she walloped him multiple times and then she gave him like a really horrific kind of verbal dressing down um and then you're like okay right okay now I've got to like kind of reframe and reset like what I thought this story was going to be I have a question for you too just coming from like how you said you know like you watched most a lot of this drama with like the Asian lens especially for like the filial piety part yes what do you do when you have this you know expectation from society to say like you have filial duties here to like your parent However, your parent, when she remarried and became like the mother of her new husband's two sons, essentially told him that she was no longer his mother, but his aunt. Mm. So what happens when like, as a child, you almost have that drama or that trauma. And now as an adult, you're being like, but now's the time to like do your duty. Yeah. Like how did that land for you? I think for me, I think, I think that, they they did it really well like you said just basically everybody was judging him right in the same way that society would judge him like why are you not doing this for your mom why are you being so awful to her why are you so disrespectful like it's so disrespectful I think there's an element of like it doesn't really matter what choices that your parents made they made it for the goodness of you there is an assumption that um you know in that in that filial piety that you respect them but their duty is also to look after you and I think that's kind of what was that is essentially that's what's broken she did not look after him but nobody in society knew that like everybody just only sees him disrespecting her and that was like the internal pain of it and I think also that's why you know that there's that scene when she goes back to like the oldest son's apartment where he's having the memorial service with this dad and she finally just confronts him and like she's so frail right she's almost coughing up blood but she's like so angry and you can see in in Ibn Yun's eyes just like oh my god like this is so I, I, I was crying so much at the scene because he was just like this is the first time my mum has stood up for me mm-hmm. in this family this is the first time she's spoken up for me and and she was doing it so fiercely and so emotionally and he was just really like I mean I can't imagine how that must have felt for him because it was just really visceral like finally like after all these years of pain this woman is finally finally on my side um, and sticking up for me in the way that she should have been had you know were she respecting this filial piety uh, relationship which goes two ways it's not just one um and I think that's partly why I was like such a mess I think by the end of this drama because it was just ripping everything like that and then kind of pushing it back together again but almost too late right that was the sadness of it yeah. and then they go yeah and I mean the sense of it being too late like this doesn't get tied up in a neat bow like she wants to go back and see her hometown Mm, which doesn't exist anymore yeah yeah and you know even after she stands up for him he has a time where he's like look at you being nice to this dog you're nicer to this dog than you've ever been to me and so like there's still pain but I feel like they oh it was just I sympathize with both of them though because I still don't think she was presented to be a monster she really was she made horrible choices but she was trying to like 
survive as a woman exactly. in a patriarchal culture that was not going to treat her and her son well unless she was able to attach herself to the protection and power of a man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, she she yeah, she wasn't she wasn't presented as I mean, despite the like, you know, walloping uh, like her son thing. It was very much like I am trying my best here. Like mm -hmm. I am doing what I can to keep us alive and yeah. surviving. Uh, and you you just need to respect that. I've told you this is the way it's going to be. Uh, and you need to just just play your role because I'm suffering, too. And I'm having to do things. That I'm basically a servant and a slave to this man. Um, so you just can you you know don't make it more difficult for me. Yeah. Oh, I don't want to cry right now. <laughs> <laughs> but that that end scene, which we can now talk about, uh, we're in the spoiler section. But that end scene when she when he realizes he's come back, she's cooked him this meal. Like there's this meal that he avoids eating. Right? Everybody says, "Hey, you love it's Jungjae." So he's like, "You love Jungjae," and he's like, "I hate it." I hate it like all the way through the drama and then you realize it's because it's the one meal that she used to cook for him that she really that he really loves eating and he she finally cooks it for him and food obviously like in Asian culture like this is how parents show their love right for food food we're gonna feed you um so anyway so he she finally created this this dongjangjigi for him uh he finally was gonna get to eat it uh and he came back and she's died and he hasn't been able to you know, like their their arc had just kind of come and you kind of were feeling like, I hope they at least get some time together where they can really be themselves and be honest with each other. And and then, oh God, he just falls to pieces like over her body. And it just like, that scene was just like, oh my God. I here's the thing that, that is magical in the drama is that you don't, I didn't leave that wanting to eat myself into the river. <laughs> like, because <laughs> at the end he does, Heal, he does healing work in Turkey. He does. Yeah. And that was such a smart and not easy choice. And that could have gone very bad. It, um, it could have got, um, it could have got, what's the word? Like a bit like hallmarky, right? A little bit too like sickly sweet if they had wanted to. Like, um, I think they trod the line really, really well. Yeah. I felt like we got enough that we got them both understanding each other. But they never got the they never got a closure with a bow. But yes. then we can see that he has gotten enough closure that he has like internally started to heal some of those wounds. And I believe that he's moving into a happier place. Yeah. Because he has also a partner who has been hurt and knows what it's like to feel pain in a way that others judge. Yeah. And so allows him to be like, you can have this pain and damage without me trying to say like, oh, you failed as a son or, oh, you should be doing X, Y, or Z. So they both basically could find each other's happiness in the end. And I felt like it felt like a real relationship potential because they both could be authentic, whole people with their whole goodness and their whole flaws. Yes. And they saw both of that with each other. And that's why I felt like their relationship could feel really successful. And that's a much heavier relationship than we got with Kim Ubin being hot in a van. Like the other <laughs> big relationship, the other big love story. But I needed that too. I needed some of like that. Not that that story was without heaviness. Yeah. But I needed some of that rather than like the story of two very broken, damaged people. Finding each other. Finding each other yeah. and healing. Yeah. Have you got time for this last question? Yeah, let's do this last question. So 
I thought the writing for this drama was just sublime. As a writer, what do you most admire about what the writers did with this drama? Well, first, I think they made a smart choice by having there be vignettes, because I felt like what it did was it let every story be somewhat tight. Because if you had a whole drama that was just unpacking one of these stories, mm. I feel like it would have either gotten too slow or we would have had to throw in like a bunch of random sloppy middle stuff. Like, because the one thing that can happen, you know, that we know in like a 16 episode traditional K-drama is it's very easy sometimes that we get to like a sloppy, not a sloppy, that's, I don't like that word, just a saggy middle where, you know, we've kind of got yeah. started off really strong and the writers clearly know kind of where they want to take it at the end. But, you know, and this happens to so many people. I mean, this happens to me every time I freaking write a book, you get to the middle and you're like, oh my God, I'm not like there, but you <laughs> like keep this energy going. Yeah. But in doing the vignette model, you could take all these stories make them like hone down to their essence and what mm. would carry an entire drama as itself when you make it part of this unified whole of the story of like a small community of friends then becomes yeah. really rich and layered and they do all tie into each other but it's about regret it's about hope it's about love it's about loss and all these stories have threads of that and we see them intersectioning in each other's lives but not to where like the arcs aren't really getting too muddled up unless you've got like the story of like the teen parents and like the dads, their, mm. their stories, you know, even though we see them from two different kind of POVs, like I feel like we get the kids and their like love story. And then we get the yeah. dads. They, those are very intermeshed stories, but even just switching the POVs to see the experiences from like one hand to the other, yeah. it lets you, it keeps the stories fresh. And it keeps, I think, the intensity going well, and it lets it be a slice of life internally uh, with a heavy focus on the internal conflicts of everything without ever feeling like it kind of starts to just like run out of steam. Yeah, it'll get too heavy. Yeah, and it really made me be like, maybe I want to write more vignettes. Like, honestly, like when I think about it, it makes me think like, this is how I would really like to structure a novel because I tend to you know, people will be like, what do you come with up with first plot or characters? And mm. I think, you know, everyone does some, like, you're not, you're not always doing one or the other, but I tend to come at things from characters and yeah. I tend to get like a character in my head and then start to like explore what that character would want to do. And, um, and that also means that I can have a lot of drama or books that just don't end up going anywhere because like they didn't have to do <laughs> And I would end up giving up writing it. But in this case, I was like, oh, this is such a good framework of doing it like this. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I just, I thought that it was so expertly put together. Like, I think it was very clear the story they were trying to tell throughout. So I, I'm really going to check out her her other dramas, this writer, um she's she's it's okay that's love have you watched that is that one of the ones I that you watched no and dear friends so I've heard like good things about both those dramas so I definitely want to go and check out her her other dramas too yeah I I'm so happy that we got to talk about this I feel like it niggled me that I hadn't potted on it because I feel like it's such an important amazing drama so I'm just very glad to get to have that be in our backlist because it made me proud to watch dramas honestly I was like this oh. is top quality <laughs> drama it is 
Yeah, no, I totally agree. I'm really, really glad because you definitely you sold it to me in that episode as well. I mean, I it was one of those things was like, wow, this cast, I've got to go and watch it. But then I think the way you told me about the story was really like, oh, that's really interesting, actually. So, um, yeah, I mean, definitely be in the right mood for it, because when you're in the right mood for it, it will click with you. And if you're also one of these people that finds like uh, crying kind of cathartic, if there's a lot of stuff going on in your life at the time, this is also good for that, I think, because I, I yeah. felt like. I felt like the crying was not like, oh, my God, I'm so sad. It was a lot of it was like, oh, my God, this has really touched me emotionally and is letting me have this cathartic cry about someone else's life. And I felt like, yeah, and you may end up being like me where you're like, I just see all these intersections to like points in my own life and like have that like cathartic connection to those too. So I haven't cried much in dramas lately. Have you been crying a lot? uh well I cried a lot for this this is probably the drama that I cried most this year um but I also try I also cried in call it love which uh everyone in the Patreon is really loving and I've been trying to sell you I think I've sold you right I don't think I'm gonna sell Megan I don't I'm gonna even try so I need to go and work out my pitch to Amy so that you guys can watch it and cover it for the pod because it's amazing here's my question this is a hard question for you I think okay so if in the next like six weeks I was to watch a drama that you recommended would you say call it love or the red sleeve oh Leah (laughs) well the thing is though I am and I think I've said this before I am not like everybody else that love the red sleeve I am in the very small minority that did not love the red sleeve so in some ways it's not that difficult to answer this question because I'd be like call it love but I also I just really want to hear what you think about the red sleeve because I think you will love it and I think you'll love it so much uh and I think that it's a podcast that everybody needs to hear um but yeah so yeah so personally for me call it love for the greater good and the podcast the red sleeve okay all right (laughs) that was a good sales pitch so I will do both um But yeah, always a pleasure. And thanks so much for taking the time to unpack this one. I think um, I appreciated getting to talk about it with you and the perspectives that you brought to it. And honestly, I know Kim Ubin's next drama looks very uh, external conflict focused. It's a Megan, it's a Megan Kim Ubin drama, right? I mean, like I couldn't have put together a more Megan drama, but I'm excited to see him in it. Yeah, no, no, me too. Me too. Yeah, he'll be great. He will be great. So I'm really glad that he's booked and busy. Yes. And I haven't seen Alienoid, which was like his other, like his film kind of like comeback, uh, which is meant to be like a crazy movie, but it's got Kim Tarion, which I know yeah, you're a big Ooh, fan I of. I really, too. yeah, I need to probably watch that. There's just, there's not enough time sometimes. There's not enough time. <laughs> there's not enough time. Um, um but yes, thank you for having me. I've really, really enjoyed our chat and it was really lovely to revisit this drama, which I loved so much. All right. Well, have a great rest of your week and we will, yeah, regroup once I've watched some more dramas that you are telling me to watch. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> okay. Annyeong. Annyeong. Kamsamnida. Thank you for listening to Afternoon of Delight. Where can you find us outside the pod? Head on over to AfternoonOfDelight.com. That's A-F-T-E-R-N-O-O-N-A-D-E-L-I-G-H-T 
www.kcskincare.com. You'll find links to all our social media, our book recs, K-pop and K-skincare recs, and if you want even more Afternoon of Delight, because really who doesn't, you can join our Patreon, where you can choose the patron level that's right for you. Join in daily K-drama conversations, listen to bonus podcast episodes just for patrons, and participate in our monthly live K-drama support group via Zoom. We can't wait for you to be a part of the community. Until next time, Annyeong!